I'm Eric. I'm David. And this is Technically Pop, where Georgia Tech faculty members discuss our popular culture obsessions. Today, we're here to talk about Stray as part of our ongoing focus on the best parts of summer 2022. David, you have played this game. I have not, even though as a cat parent, as someone who loves cats, I'm intrigued by it and want to learn more. But some things I do know, just some basic facts about the game, are that it is a 2022 video game developed by Blue 12 Studio and published by Annapurna Interactive. It follows a cat through an enclosed, neon-lit, post-apocalyptic city populated by cats and robots. And the basic premise of the game, your mission as the player, as the central cat protagonist, is to return to the surface, apparently, and help out some new friends along the way. Yeah, yeah, that's that's about it. And uh, listen, I felt exactly the same way that you do, Uh, just the notion of a video game where you get to be a cat. Right. That's enough for me. That's all I needed to bring me in to play the game. But yeah, let me go ahead and and give you an idea of what this game's about. It takes place in a dystopian future where we see mostly robots. Mm -hmm. At the beginning of the game, we do see some cats and then you do get to be a cat throughout the game. Although you don't really end up seeing other cats for that time period. What's happened is that at some point in our future, the land has become unlivable. So humans have designed these walled cities. But somebody has to be in control of the walled cities. So we have this hierarchy where the engineers who control the dome and the opening and closing of the dome are at the top, essentially. And your cat falls into this walled city at the beginning of the game and then ends up being on this journey to escape the city, which is not only uh, to its own benefit so that it can be back with its family, but also to the benefit of some of these robots that it meets along the way. Got it. That makes sense to me. I think something that makes uh, this dystopian quality of it that much more frightening is that with these being domed cities, there is no natural light. So you're wandering through these dark cities and, and everything is lit up by neon signs and maybe some electric lighting, but that's the only real light that you get in there. Right? And so there's a, there's a vast contrast between light and dark, which I'll get back to later when we start talking about the graphics. I'm curious, gameplay-wise, just cats being the creature they are, does darkness really affect you as a cat character, or do you just use cat vision and you can see things just fine? I think it's implied that you don't have any problem being able to see in different environments, but you don't actually end up specifically using cat vision or the ability to see well in a dark environment to help you navigate. Mostly, this this game is pretty simple. It's, it's really accessible. And so any kind of strain on the eye, any kind of situation where you would have to kind of search around there in the dark is, isn't something that comes up as a problem. Movement, navigability, it's all, it's all really simple in this game, and it's, and it's all streamlined. So I think, that, I think that we can assume that the cat has really good vision because it's a cat, and some of those gradations it explains why you would be able to see them and you set that at the beginning of course um, but it doesn't really end up having anything to do with the gameplay itself it just makes it neat it makes the graphics that much sharper yeah right because it's it's it, it runs on unreal engine 
Mm-hmm. Right? And one of the things that's wonderful uh, that I've learned in, in reading about this game um, with Unreal Engine is that it supports extremely high level and detailed graphics and also very complex lighting schemes. And that's one thing that the designers in this game are really capitalizing on. Um, and I think it's one thing that just makes the, it makes the game beautiful. Mm-hmm. There's nothing specific that you have to do with the cat's ability to see well in the dark. Right. I think there's enough light that if you were another creature, you'd still be able to get around fine. Right. It makes the environments that much more enveloping and believable. As the story goes for Stray, what occurred was at some point after the humans were put into walled cities, they developed these companion robots to complete menial tasks. These are the robots that you end up meeting as you're the cat. Something else happened, though. The scientists also created a biological substance that was able to consume all of the waste that's produced in the walled cities. And then there ended up being a plague, and it's not clear whether this plague is related to that, uh, that development, right? Um, but I'm assuming it is, that kills off all of the humans. And the only other thing that we know here is that at some point, Uh, While this disaster was happening, the scientists figured out a way to upload human personalities into some robots, right? We don't know how many people that happened with. We don't really see, at first, a lot of evidence of that. But what ends up happening is after the humans are gone, these companion robots end up somehow becoming a lot like the humans that, that designed them. So by the time you end up meeting with them, you know, they're very amiable. They're very kind. They're very sweet. They've taken on the characteristics of the humans that were there before. They've built these sort of, they've taken over their homes. Like they've, out of all the refuse that's there in the slums, for example, they've decorated, you know, and they've got books and they have their lifestyles and they have bars and they have stores, you know, and, and they have emotions. Oh, interesting. Okay. That's far more, far more human than I expected. Like I thought maybe just like, oh, we lead robot lives with emotions but no like no it's it's like it's like this unexplainable quality you know and Mm -hmm. they they just sort of took it on without the programming for taking it on um because they were just they were created to just you know complete menial tasks you know so that the humans could go do what they wanted to do and not be having to work all the time and um so it's very sweet yeah it reminds me a little bit of um the opening of Wally, I guess, where like, oh, here's this robot that just has this menial job, but it develops this personality on its own on decimated Earth for however long. Yeah. How long ago was that movie? I don't remember. I had forgot. I had forgotten all about Wally, but yeah, it's 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 very similar to that. Um, and then imagine, so all of these robots end up having their own little niche thing that they're really interested in, mm-hmm. you know, and some of them are like computer nerd friends that you have. Right. So you end up, uh, you end up both just doing nice things for them that make them happy, but you also end up on these semi-linear quests. Right. And I say sem- semi-linear because there are side things that you can do. So you can wander around the town for like three hours. Or you can wander around it for 30 minutes. Some things you have to do in order, some you don't. Essentially, you are like grabbing items and taking them to individuals and then grab another item and take it to an individual, you know, and 
through doing this, right, you end up helping these companion robots to get out of the city. I see. I've seen people talk a lot about the semi-linearity of the game and related that to the cat simulator aspect. Just, it gives you a lot of freedom to just do cat things. Yeah. Which include doing nothing or just curling up in a soft spot for a while. Uh, Right, right. So, all right. So what things do you see your cat do that you think, man, if I were a cat, I would like to do that. Cats are prodigious climbers, and I think that's very cool. I would love if I could just casually jump three or four times my height. That's pretty neat. I was reading an article the other day about how cats can survive incredibly high falls. And uh, it it was all from this. It, It was an excerpt from this book. It was published in The Atlantic, I think. Uh, But there were further steps to it just in terms of breaking down. Oh, there might not be a maximum height that cats can survive. And there's a weird thing where like once you get past six stories, the cats are better at surviving serious falls and stuff like that. Yeah. So (laughs) I think that cats have a lot of mobility related superpowers that would be kind of cool to have so i and i can see them being interesting in gameplay so that that's what i first envision well i would think that the fact that the cat survives the fall into the walled city to begin with Mm -hmm. is traceable to that and i think there there are a couple of falls that the cat has in the game that you you know you think man i'm glad that's a cat yeah (laughs) um and so Let's try this a little bit more. What other things do you like to see a cat do? I like how I like how unreadable cats can be. I can imagine something humorous about just walking around robots and making noises and sometimes rubbing against them and sometimes doing other things. And hopefully the robots just saying, what do you want? Why are you meowing at me? What are you upset about? Uh, that's a, That's an interaction I have. Sometimes they do that. Most of the time they are curious about you, mm, you know, yeah. um, because they're not familiar with cats. Right. But they're they're happy to meet you. You know, sometimes they they've got these what looks like television sets for heads like monitors. Right. Mm-hmm. With facial expressions on them. And sometimes the facial expression will change to a different symbol. You have the option to rub up against a robot's leg in some instances. Yeah. Right. It'll give you the little triangle cue. So you hit triangle, you rub up against its leg, and it'll get a little heart face. Cute. You know, and, and it's just adorable. You know. Yeah. Sometimes they sometimes they say, "I don't, I don't know what you want. I don't know, you know, what to say to you." Um, but other times, you know, they'll say, "Hey, little one, how are you doing?" You know, they just they just like the fact that you want to give them love. There are some places where you can act like something is a scratching post. It doesn't do anything to scratch on the side of a couch. Or sometimes you can scratch at a door and folks will let you in. Mm-hmm. You know, So there are these little things that you just recognize about a cat that sometimes you do them just to be a cat. Yeah. And sometimes you do them to actually advance in the game and use them as a tool. Um And then there are some things you do that don't really ever make a change at all. Like uh, there are spots with little pillows where you can just lie down 
you know, and sometimes it's not a pillow. Sometimes it's something else, but you could just lie down and go to sleep. But you're not in an area usually where you're in any kind of danger. So you don't have to do that. You just do. Yeah. And it sounds like it's not something built into the gameplay. Like, oh, that's how you save or something. Right, right. It's something that now that I'm thinking about it, it it might make you ask, does this count as a simulator Mm -hmm. or not? And I think the fact maybe that you get to do that extra stuff that isn't always aimed toward finishing the game, maybe that kind of makes it a simulator. And I, I can't say that right now there aren't any other games out there that allow you to be a cat in a, in a similar way. But uh, from what I was reading, at least in 2016, when this project was first getting started, that game did not exist. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a fun development. I'm glad that it's a thing. It was a wonderful way to spend some of my hours. And I'm not very good at video games, so I spent a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) I I was going to ask just a sort of general question. Like, as we've been saying, there's a lot of flexibility to do what you want. It's not an incredibly plot-driven game where you rush through it necessarily. Right. Like, what's the gameplay amount? Like, how many hours does it take? I think it's about five hours. I would say it probably took me about 10 to 12 hours. Okay. The way I play video games now, I'll play a video game until I start to feel like maybe I'm going to stop enjoying it and start getting frustrated. You know what I mean? Some days that takes me a long time. Uh Some days it doesn't. I'm getting getting better at it as I get older. (laughs) But, yeah, you know... This game really, it's its a really wonderful escape. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that it is because while you are escaping, you're also, you're encountering a reflection and, and commentary on a lot of, I want to say our society, but it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of different societies where poverty and a hierarchy that maintains that poverty and informs that poverty is a major ongoing issue, mm-hmm. right? And you can think of that when, when you're thinking about the layout, like the geographical layout and where all the locations are in this game, right? You have a physical hierarchy that moves from top to bottom and the richest, most powerful individuals are supposed to be there at the top. When I say supposed to be, I'm kind of giving something away about the ending. Interesting. <laughs> There's so much more than what I've already mentioned. There are battle elements in the game, although it's not a huge factor. Mostly when you're encountering enemies, you're just running and trying to figure out which is the quickest way to go. Like, how can I use my kitty cat reflexes and everything to get away from these little robots fast enough? Mm -hmm. And you also have a robot friend that you meet. He's almost like a, a drone who flies around and he's able to help you like hack into computers and things like that. And you learn along the way that he's got one of these human memories or that he is one of these robots that had a human's personality uploaded into him. Yes. Right. Yeah. And you end up collecting memories for this character along the way. Mm. So you'll see a spot and it'll have a little indicator there, a little icon and you go up to it and that robot remembers something. And so you get little pieces about the background of the story as you go through it. It's really intricate, although for modern games, especially like some big games on the PlayStation, it's also pretty limited. 
Oh, say more about that. Okay. Just the size, you mean? Oh, it's the size of the game, but also in terms of all of the different things that you can do in some other games. I like to think of rhetorical affordances when I think about this game. And that's where I connect it to, to what I do, the teaching rhetoric, is that everything about the gameplay is defined by what a cat is capable of doing. And a cat's really not capable of doing in comparison to other video game characters that you tend to have, not necessarily capable of doing much. A button that you can use to, uh, to meow, right? You have a button you can use to jump when it will allow you to jump, right? And then you can run faster or slower. That's about it. Mm -hmm. And so you have to figure out how to use that and the very, very minimal battle elements that you have to get through the entire game where you have to figure out how to navigate a city that's very big to a small cat using non-traditional elements. So you're jumping on air conditioners and you're, you're running on pipes and things like this. But I think, I think that the real strength of the game is in its graphics and in the believability of that main character. But a lot of those like fast paced battle elements and then the, Mm, I see. I was kind of intrigued by the whole notion of combat isn't primary, running away is your primary defense. I, I think that's an interesting and rare setup for a game. I like that. And when you do engage in combat, you a lot of the time have the option to kill less than you have to. Oh, interesting. So you can do minimal damage and then run away. Oh, cool. This is one of the linear elements of the game. There are parts where you're moving from one major scene to another, or a major area to another major area, these little avenues between chapters, and you may have to just truck it and just go as fast as you can. It's kind of like parkour. Mm -hmm. just get through all of the uh, obstacles that come up while you're going. And there are these little rodent-like robots that are chasing you around called the Zerks. And they can kill you. Yeah. Which, you know, the first time you're playing this, you're like, they're not going to kill a cat in a video game. They're not, yeah, they can kill you. Right. Um, and eventually your, uh, your robot friend B12 ends up getting this. It's, it's this weird purple field that he, that he can shoot out and you command him to do it. It disintegrates the Zerks, but oh. that's the thing that, yeah, you don't have to use it much. And if you're smart, right, you can use it really minimally. That is more intense than I had envisioned. It disintegrates them. That's insane. It's like, let's use the word vaporize. I think that's the best one. It vaporizes. Okay. Huh. That's intense. All right. So, yeah, I mean, you do end up being a cat with kind of a gun. Uh -huh. <laughs> you, when you first get it, you think, wow, this is really going to ramp up. But it, it doesn't really ramp up more after that. Yeah. It ends up being more about being a cat than it does end up being about a uh, battling adventure. Yeah. I, I have, I have two more gameplay questions before we move on to the design elements. One I had envisioned given what you've said about, it's about exploration. It's about finding places and like finding original ways to get to places. I had pictured a sort of Metroidvania game where 
you unlock skills that enable you to access new areas. It seems like it is not that. No, it's it's not. Um, it, from the beginning, you can do everything you can do. It's just about seeing, oh, I can probably jump on that and jumping on it. So I, it's, it's semi-linear. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do everything in an exact order, but there are some things that have to be done in an order. Yeah. There are items that you collect along the way that help you advance that you have to have to advance. So like, um, it could be something that you have to give to somebody else, or it could be like you get a, um, you get a vest early on in the game and you acquire your robot friend B12 early on in the game. So both of those are pretty key. But other than that, you can, you know, you can just get around with your movements. You have to do certain things to unlock certain areas, but. Yeah, well, and I was thinking of specifically the sort of thing where it's like, oh, I can double jump now. And that means I can go back to old areas and access different parts of them. It sounds like that isn't a part of this game. No, there's a little backtracking in this game, but there's there's not a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Mm, I see. Oh, I was going to ask, can you customize the cat at all or is it just this is you this is the cat sad Ah. that could be something that's available in the settings but i didn't i didn't see that available at all and like from any of the research that i did it all seemed like there was just one cat available you also want to when you're thinking about that you know think about the fact that they had actually like multiple cats (laughs) Like, did they did they do any sort of motion capture with cats? Is that what you're saying? Or just they observed cats and used them as models? I know that I know that they spent quite quite a lot of time modeling the cats and perfecting the motion. Right. So I'm assuming they did some motion capture. Um, If you look at the credits for the game. They've got like 28 different cats listed. It's, it's, it's awesome. Interesting. Yeah, um, the article that I've been reading about this, uh, it interviews one of the designers named Viv, and the name of the article is, uh, it's like 28 cats and two people. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, I see. Yes. I'm, I'm still sad that I can't make the cat look like one of my cats, but. That's, well, you feel like it's one of your cats by the end of it. Mm, right? I see. It will, it will be one of your cats. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I, I, I think, I think you do grow attached to the main character by the end of it. One of the things about it that's that's neat is I think that there's a way in which the main character becomes humanized, right? I mean, not not just because you're a person playing that character, right? But by the end of the game, the cat has done something that you don't really think about cats doing. Right. Going out of its way to help human like creatures or to do anything that's not just immediately and obviously in its own interest. Why would a cat do that? And so and you never hear the cat's thoughts. So you wonder, like, is the cat sort of developing these developing a sense of responsibility? Right. Does it know that it's being a hero? Is it just trying to get back to its family? Right. Is it developing a relationship with these robots the way I feel like I am when I'm playing the game? Um, Or is that another limitation? What do you mean by that last part? Well, we're talking about rhetorical affordances. Yeah. 
is that an assumed rhetorical affordance of being a cat that you can't identify or feel like you need to do something for other people? And I don't, I don't think it is in this game. Yeah, I, I don't know. At a certain point, like maybe there is some of the tension between just a cat simulator and here's a story game with a cat as its protagonist. Of course, the main the main change, like in terms of like the quality of character, is not in the cat, right? The main change of equality of character ends up being in the B twelve robot in his last moments there at the end of the game because he's got the human in them and you're hearing this human voice. Mm-hmm. But and I think there's also a change like in in the in the player in how you view all of those companion robots from that point on. The change isn't really in the cat anyway. So um, I think one of the things that really stuck out to me in the interview with Vib was, I mean, she's referring to the city of Kowloon. Have you heard of the city of Kowloon? No, I have no idea what that is. So it's Kowloon Walled City. It was in British Hong Kong. And it was destroyed in, it was like 93 and 94. They tore it down. Kowloon was the inspiration for the walled city that is in the video game Stray. So Viv said, quote, The walled city of Kowloon was an initial inspiration of the project. It was while trying to make environments of that type that we realized a cat would be the perfect main character. We really wanted to make the players feel like they are lost just like we felt lost looking at those references. This unique moment when you look around you and you tell yourself, I really have no idea where I am. Um, She also goes on to list the Blade Runner movie as an inspiration, uh, as well as Bloodsport, which was filmed in Kowloon City. And that really spoke to me because that's how I felt for much of the game. I was lost. You're overwhelmed by the size of each new environment. And you have to address that expanse in a way that's that you haven't done before in a video game setting. Like I was saying, like finding new ways to navigate that you wouldn't have thought of before, but also the scale changes your sense of orientation. Maybe it's worse for me because I'm, I'm bad at orienting myself out here in the real world. <laughs> <laughs> and I often have to like look up like, where I'm trying to go in a video game, that's not uncommon at all. But I certainly felt lost a lot of the time. You know, the markers that you, uh, the landmarks that you find, they end up being particular windowsills. Interesting. Or like some particular graffiti that's on the wall, right? And it could be very small, right? But it's it's something that a cat can notice easily. Yeah. I also assume from everything you're saying that there's no such thing as like a mini map. Like you have to no. remember it all. Okay. That, that really interests me. That sounds uh, fun and engaging from a, a gameplay perspective. Yeah. I didn't think, I didn't think about that. That's I'm, I'm sure that's absolutely intentional. Although, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure a cat's got a really good sense of orientation on its own, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's no, there's no map to refer to because a cat can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd be curious, I imagine, given your attitudes toward frustrating video games, that you have never played a Soulsborne game, for instance. Is that accurate? Soulsborne. Um, like Dark Souls or Bloodborne? Okay, 
All right. Yeah. All right. Yes, I have played the Dark Souls games and I do not care for them. You know, I don't think they're bad games. It's just not it's not for me. Fair, fair. It makes me want to throw the controller. No, the whole the walled city concept and the lack of a mini map made me think a little bit of the first Dark Souls game where everything's interconnected and you learn different routes between things. That's all. Are Dark Souls and Demon Souls games made by the same people? Yeah. What was the huge, the huge uh, RPG that they made recently? Uh, Elden Ring, a game that I have found frustrating just because it's so, so big. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to finish this. <laughs> it's it's visually gorgeous. It, it really is. I did not like that game. <laughs> it just makes me mad. It doesn't make any sense. The math is all messed up. So something else that I want to talk about and yeah, um, but I thought that the sounds, yeah, right, the sound effects and the music were really something special. I originally had considered actually getting some sound bites from the game, but I, I never got to a point where I felt comfortable in, in dealing with the copyright issues with that. Fair. So I'm just going to tell you what there is. Okay. So yeah. you've got about five or six different meows. Right. Um, occasionally you get a purr. My favorite one is at the very end of the game. That's the last sound you hear is a purr. When, when you're wondering, well, how did everything turn out? You hear a purr. Mm-hmm. You get the scratching sounds. And then the, the companion robots have this unique, they have this unique electronic sounding speech. So it's not just the text that you get. You get this speech sound too. And then there was this, soft ambient electronic music mm-hmm. that was, that was occupying most of the environments um and it was it was enough to keep you entertained enough to kind of draw you into the game and round out the uh, multimodal uh, the multimodality there the multimodal scene but it's not enough to ever distract you even when it's source music right it's not enough ever to distract right so You've got little radios that you can go up and interact with, right? Or there's one point when you go into a place called Blazer's Nightclub and the music changes appropriately, but it doesn't become overwhelming or anything like that. It's just there. Actually, I think probably my favorite character in this is a street musician who you meet in the slums. Mm -hmm. And he's very believable because you've seen this guy. (laughs) Uh And, and, He's just sitting there playing his guitar. And of course, he's, he can play anything that you bring to him mm-hmm. because he's a robot. And so one of the collectible items is there. there's a lot of sheet music around the city. And you go around the city and every time you find a piece of sheet music, you bring it to him. And he's just so happy because now he has a new song that he can play. Yeah. They've got these silly little names, you know, um, that go with all, all, all kinds of robot jokes that are in the game, mm-hmm. you know. But um, that was probably that was probably my favorite character, my favorite element of the sound of the soundscape. That tracks. <laughs> it's probably something that Unreal Engine specifically allows them to do. I, I couldn't be sure about that because I'm not a designer. But the relative sounds in the game and the relative volume of those sounds are dependent upon your proximity to different characters and different items. So as you're wandering through the city, yeah. You hear this conversation, you hear this conversation, right? You hear this air conditioner humming, 
right? You hear this water dripping yeah. and it gets louder and it gets softer as you move toward it or away from it. And that really, really draws you into the scene, mm-hmm. right? It really makes you feel like you're present. I, I'm curious. Uh, so there are the variety of meows and cure and, and purrs. Is there a sort of chirping noise that cats sometimes make? I'm just curious. I wouldn't say there's a variety of purrs. What is the meow variety like? You have like longer and shorter meows, right? You have meows that sound more declarative and then you have meows that sound more interrogative, mm-hmm. right? That's that's about the, the best way I can explain it. And like I said, there are only like five or six of them. I'll take it. I think it, I mean, it would be neat if there were a lot more, but I think it's hard for us. I think it's hard for us to distinguish between that many of them. Fair. Although for cats, you know, I, I, I'm sure there's a huge variety of, of distinguishable vocalizations. And you, you don't really choose the meow that you're using. Oh, it just does it. Okay. That was a, that was another question I had was like, what sort of complicated button mashing do you have to do to make a particular meow? Okay. There is no complicated button mashing for anything. In the mm, game. I see. Getting back to that, that thing about rhetorical affordances, because, you know, all of the takeaways from this game for me are about scope. There are not many functions that you can perform. The demands that it has on the player are not, they're not a lot. There aren't many of them. Yeah. Right. Even when you're doing things like jumping or like running along pipes and things like this, that is like, it's almost completely streamlined for you. And in some cases it turns into a video. Yeah. But most of the time you just press the forward button and you go, there's, you're not going to fall off. Mm. Right. You're not going to miss the jump. I see. I was curious, like is platforming a thing? So no, basically it does it all for you. Okay. Right. So these designers decided early on that they specifically didn't want it to be like a Mario like platform. game. Yeah. When they took that part of the gameplay out, I think what they did was they made this game really accessible to anybody who just wants to sit down and enjoy themselves. Mm-hmm. Because you don't you don't really even have to progress in the game to enjoy yourself. Just go around and talk to the robots. You know, but even if you do want to finish it, it's 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 just a matter of looking for things. And there are clues, but the clues are really simple. You need to open a safe, look for some numbers. Well, there are the numbers there on the wall. You know what I mean? Plug them into the safe because those numbers were close to where the safe was. It's not that complicated. Um, and you get to do cool stuff like start a subway train and, and hack into a computer and, and shred the wires and everything. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just too fun. Mm -hmm. But getting back to the notion of scope. Yeah. There are all kinds of questions that you can ask about that, right? So what is the scope of the main character's abilities, right? What's the scope of the environment, right? In relation to the main character. Because as I was saying before, we're not a human, right? Or a vehicle going through a city. We're a tiny animal. Mm -hmm. It's different. Or again, what is the scope of the game that these designers originally wanted to make, right? And then how did the the design choices that they made along the way change that? Or what's the scope of what that design software that they chose is, is able to do, right? And how did that limit, right, what they ended up choosing to do? 
And that's something that I'm considering bringing into my junior design classroom, right? Because I've got students who they're not making video games, but they're making software. And right now they're having to make some of those design choices and they're having to decide what what program language am I going to use? What platform am I going to use? And it's about what are they trying to create? How much time do they have to do it, right? How complicated can it be? What does the client want? User research indicating what the users are going to want, what the users are going to need. And I just think that, you know, bringing something like this into the classroom, because I'm sure that a lot of them have played this game, might be a good way to spur that conversation. Yeah. What choices did these designers make? And you can read about those in that interview. And then what choices are you making in your own teams that are similar? No, that's awesome. That makes perfect sense to me. And I think such an accessible and light model might be especially useful in a classroom. How do you imagine that some of the elements of our conversation here about Stray today might be relevant to, for example, what Shane Snyder is is doing in his classroom and teaching video game design? I know that. So once you brought up rhetorical affordances in relation to the game it made me think of a lot of the stuff that shane talks about uh but basically one thing he talks about is gameplay rhetoric like how does the game work what sort of arguments does that make and that can play into things like what are the activities that the game rewards does it reward cooperation or does it reward combat does it reward this or reward that? What are the consequences for your actions? What does the game allow you to do? And stuff like that. Like a game is saying something if it gives you the option of running away instead of fighting, or if it gives you an opportunity to talk someone out of a fight rather than having to fight them. Yeah, it sounds like he's focused on those ethical implications. Exactly, exactly. Uh, So it seems to me like you're on a similar wavelength in terms of exploring those things. Well, I, yeah. And I think once you get to the, once you've seen the ending, it's hard not to be concerned with what the ethical implications were, Mm. but I don't want to tell you what the ending is. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I'll let you know if I ever make the decision. Yeah. I'm not getting around to playing it anytime soon. Go ahead and tell me, (laughs) but maybe we'll do that off mic. All right. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Do we have any other final things to talk about? Well, I just want everybody to know that Stray can be played on PS4 and PS5 platforms as well as Steam. The main source for the interview that I brought a lot of information into this conversation from is at unrealengine.com. This conversation was also influenced by the donkey review of Stray. All right, then. Should we conclude by talking about the next bit of pop culture that each of us is excited about? Yes. So we just entered October. October is my favorite month of the year. It's fall. So it's finally getting to the type of weather that I like. And secondly, it's just the best time of the year for horror. So I'm excited for the movie Smile, which I think premiered last weekend. I saw Barbarian last weekend and loved it. I saw Bodies, Bodies, Bodies over the summer and thought it was amazing. That's my highlight of the summer 2022. So I'm just looking forward to 
getting back into going to the theater regularly, doing that at a time now that I've gotten my bivalent booster when I can see the type of movies that I love. So. Yeah, that will be really nice. I, I used to love going to the theater and I do it so rarely now that like, I think the last time I did, I actually got sick from eating too much popcorn. <laughs> you know what I'm excited about right now is, and I, I know it's already begun, but uh, it, just speaking of horror, the unfolding of this first season of The Patient. Oh, okay. Yeah, with Steve Carell. I I have heard of it. I have not watched it. So it's on Hulu, and he's playing a psychiatrist. Turns out one of his patients is a serial killer, and he is now being held in the serial killer's house where his, the serial killer's mom lives and where the serial killer will bring another person if he wants to kill them. And yeah, so it's, it's all about how do we use therapy to keep you from killing anybody? Oh, okay. Sounds fun. It's, it's frightening. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good stuff. Not, not very funny at all. It is not the office. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you and I might have different ideas of what's funny, but yes, I am intrigued. <laughs> Well, it, does, it doesn't read like a dark comedy, but you could certainly find things to laugh at. Okay, got it. I'll give you that. Um, well, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, same to you. Thanks for introducing me to Stray. Yeah, thank you. Please rate, review, and subscribe, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.